0: Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanised Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment.
1: Hi, I'm Craig Safin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanised Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to.
0: Welcome to the Humanised Workforce Future You podcast. I'm Steve Barlow and as always I'm joined by Craig Saffin. How are you
1: Craig? Hi Steve, very cold morning here in Sydney today, very cold. It's
0: cold up here on the Gold Coast too. (laughs) We've got as our guest today Andrew Mantafield. So welcome Andrew. Andrew is joining us from all the way from Tokyo this morning. So It's wonderful to have you here, Andrew. Andrew, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, a bit about your background and what you do?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I lead my own business, uh, working mainly across Asia Pacific, but it sometimes trickles a bit further. Um, I describe myself as a coach and I work with people one-to-one or sometimes I'll coach groups. And what I coach people on is, really, I help leaders to be the best they can be every day. That's how I describe my work. Um, I have the pleasure of working with some interesting companies um, like Google and Facebook. So I've worked in Google's coaching community. I work in Facebook's coaching community. I work with brands companies like uh, Philip Morris, Disney, Mars. I work with a lot of drinks companies. Uh, Diageo Kirin banks and healthcare companies so a broad spectrum but they're all usually big global companies who are passionate about getting the most from their people. Um, I've done that for 12 years and before that I used to work in the drinks industry for Diageo the company that makes Johnny Walker and Bundaberg in Australia (laughs) Um, and I was an HR person for half my career so uh, about 12 years, uh, did talent in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and I was a generalist in Asia and Australia, New Zealand. And before that, I was a commercial person. So I started off carrying a bag, did most commercial roles, managing accounts. And my last commercial role was as the sales director in the UK, leading the team of 600. So my background's quite diverse.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing, Andrew. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I always have a lot of respect for... Um especially HR professionals who've uh, worked at the front line and run sales teams and so on. I think uh, we interviewed uh, a while about Kathy Doyle and she also had, had that same sort of experience. So, so uh, I'm assuming you're working with a lot of, uh, in what you said, as um, a lot of CEOs. And uh, in recent times, the work environment's changed dramatically. Uh, a lot of people working remotely or hybrid or, or whatever. And um, what we've learned through this podcast series is that the role of the CEO is changing or has changed. What what are your observations about what it requires to be uh, a really good CEO in this environment?
2: Yeah, I I think it's interesting, Craig. The the skills required seem to be similar. The context is forever changing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the move to virtual working like we are now, for example, when I say to people, it's difficult to work in this, you know, what's it like to work in this environment? And they say, it's difficult, you know, they can't connect with people. Mm. And I'll say to them, well, think of somebody who can connect and what do they do? And they go, they ask questions, they really listen, you know, they engage me through looking at me and, you know, proper listening, you know, two eyes, one mouth type (laughs) stuff, twice as much as listening as speaking. And uh, you say, what do they do different when it's face to face? And it's sort of the same. So I think the context changed, and the skills are quite are quite similar. You know, the people who were clear on their north star, their purpose, why they do what they do, I think um, it helped them. You know, companies with strong values, behaviours, purpose, vision, they could lean into that through this time of change. If you didn't have it, you ain't got anything to hang on to while the ship's, you know, in that stormy water.
1: Mm. Yeah. Over the last few years, we've heard a lot about the uh, the purpose and the why. It's become almost as important as the um, probably as important as the strategy for the com- company. Um, so, some of the skills you're talking about there, though, they, as you say, it's um, it's uh, it's it's nothing new. But what's changed is probably, do you think it's become more imperative or uh, do you think that some people are struggling to lead with, with that sort of, um, that sort of uh, capability?
2: Yeah, I think, I think people are, are struggling because they think it's very different and the skills are different. Mm. Um, and the ambiguity, mm. you know, the ambiguity of it all, uh, you know, it's like the current situation in Ukraine. Mm. People don't know how long it's going to last. They don't really know what to do. You know, so you see companies that are now saying, right, we're pulling out. Um, But I think those decisions are really difficult, you know, Mm. because if you pull out, you're leaving. How do do you stay in contact with your workforce who work for you and support them? And how does it reflect your values? And if you stay, how does it reflect your values and your purpose? You know, so I think, you know, this is why, and you know this, I, I often talk about being courageous. Yeah. And, you know, I always remind people that courageous, the word courageous comes from the French word cour, which means heart. Right. Because we think of courageous as being muscles, don't we?
1: Yeah.
2: And we think about, I've got to be smart in here. (laughs) But you've got to be smart in here. Yes. You know, a lot of the time you've got to follow your intuition, and I think that's hard to do. Trust yourself as a leader is a big deal, I think. You know, really trust what you think. Because sometimes everybody else will think something different.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) Do do you find, um, like you've been doing coaching for a long time and uh, interacting with leadership teams and leaders, do you find that this um, listening skills thing, which is actually not a new thing on the uh, agenda, but now has uh, become much more important, do you you find that um, it's amazing that this discussion keeps going on about how to actively listen or how to really listen to people? Do you think that that's unusual? Um, not really, because
2: it, it, it amazes me how often it comes up, Craig, if yeah. I'm honest. You know, the number yeah. of times I'll do work and I'll say, what's the one big takeout? And you'll have a group of 30 people and, you know, half of them will say, I'm going to listen more. Mm. And they'll say, I'm going to listen rather than tell, mm. which I think is really interesting. Um, I think I think the thing that I find interesting is listening for what? And I think people are really listening with curiosity mm. and listening to understand and listening to build engagement. You know, the reason we listen, I think, has probably changed. You know, when I first started working, it was all about knowledge. And mm. the people who were smart, they got the big jobs. Mm. So they'd listen for knowledge and listen for insights.
1: Yeah.
2: I think now people are listening at a, a deeper level. And if you're going to engage people, you know, um, if people don't feel listened listen to, you may as well go home, aren't you?
1: How much is trust uh, an aspect of that? Because I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I remember early in my career that people would listen, they get the information, and then it, might, it wouldn't be unusual to use it against you or to use it to leapfrog over you or something like that to gain an advantage. But what you're talking about is a different paradigm, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, I think this is Stephen Covey when he talks about trust, doesn't he? Yeah. And he talks about the the whole idea of um, not not just doing all that good behaviour, but then delivering against it. Mm. You know, if you if you listen and you say, "Yeah, I'll go and look into that," people will remember, and they'll expect you to to go back and answer. Mm. You know, but again, when I first started work. Most of the inter- interactions, especially with senior people, were more one way. Right. You yeah. know, it was them telling you and sharing yeah, exactly their wisdom. Right. And everybody was sort of sitting there looking up at this <laughs> person on a pedestal. Yes. It's different now, isn't it? Really? It's different. You get people who, you know, I, re- I remember when um, somebody telling me a story of the company that what they worked in. And uh, the CEO stood up and said, if you've ever got an idea, come and talk to me. Ever got a concern, you know, you want to share something. And this person tells the story of going, being in the head office and getting in the lift and pressing the button to go to the eighth floor, which is where the CEO was. And even when he pressed the button, people started looking at him. <laughs> and then when he came out the lift yeah. and he walked across the floor. Yeah secretary started getting up and coming towards him. And eventually somebody stopped him and said, what, what are you, what are you uh, here for? And he said, (laughs) I've come to see so-and-so. And And they went, I I think you'd need to make some time. That's all different. Isn't it now? That's all different. You know, you get people, I know CEOs who blog and then people put comments on their blogs and stuff. So it's that idea. You're right. The idea of listening, what people expect uh, I think has changed.
1: Yeah, one of the things that's always amazed me is you know companies want to hire really smart people. And when they hire the smart people, they want to treat them like mushrooms in a way. So that's sort of a, a counterintuitive. What about the, uh, so the trust is very important. And one of the other things that's been coming up in our discussions is about this um, feeling safe. So it's all sort of related to what you were just saying is that, okay, so uh, you're, you're coming up to tell me something. Uh, that's great. I've invited you to do that. Um, there's got to be not only trust, but they, they they want to be feeling that that's going to be used positively rather than uh, used against them or disadvantage them, which, are, you know, if you look at whistleblowers and things like that, in today's thing, it's quite often it's the whistleblower that comes off the worst, isn't it? So it's sort of mm. the opposite of what we're talking about here, isn't
2: it? Yeah. I mean, psychological safety. I, I spent five years in Google's coaching community when they had an independent coaching community. And obviously, they do a lot of work on psychological safety. Mm. And then other companies that I work with have, have followed on from that. And there's some quite simple stuff, really, about if you share with skill, and mm. I think that's important, you've got to do it with skill, um, there shouldn't be any negative consequence. Yeah. you know. And if you're doing it with good intent and it's skillful, mm you should be able to go, right, this will not affect my career. You know, it won't make people think I'm an idiot if mm. I've asked that question. And I think trying to think that through and, and create an environment to do that is quite difficult. Because personally, mm. you know, I can think of when I'm in a situation and, and I'm thinking, can I really say anything I want to say all the time? And I don't think I can. Yeah. You know, because sometimes I think there's going to be consequence, but if you can create that environment more and more, I think it's extremely powerful because you can get the most out of your people.
1: Mm. Yeah, the uh, it's quite true, isn't it? You, you say I'd say anything you like, but actually, when you think about it from your own perspective, you're not going to say anything you like, right? Yeah, that's mm. the reality. But but there's also the thing is you invite feedback, and sometimes the feedback uh, really uh, shocks you, doesn't it? So. Uh, it's a, be careful what you wish for, isn't it? So, what about our uh, leadership teams? You've worked a lot with leadership teams, like uh, you said. Uh, and and um, well, how does a how does a CEO the, the the CEO best interact with that leadership team, or how do they get uh, the, the their purpose and what they're trying to achieve in the organisation through those people? So leading through those people, what is your advice then?
2: I think the biggest challenge is to create a team Mm. and whether you're a CEO or just leading a team at at a certain level, you know, if you're leading a a sales team, I don't think it's the same challenge, Mm. but when you get more senior, you know, if you've got somebody reporting you who's the finance head and somebody who's the commercial head and somebody Mm. who's responsible for marketing, how do you get them all to be responsible for marketing, all to be responsible for the financial results? Mm. You know, so, The teams that are really interdependent, and I think this links to psychological safety. You know, I've worked in teams where somebody could say, Andrew, I think we could do better in this area in HR when I was an HR director. Or, Andrew, I've seen this that a company does, and I think they do it better. Mm. And I would take that as thank you for sharing it with me. If you can create that environment where people can do that Mm. and stand for each other's success, I think it's really good. Because to be really honest, what, what I see, I see this less, but it used to happen a lot when I first started working, is some people would be successful because other people weren't. So in a team, you know, five of them could be successful and five of them not.
1: That was a Zero sum, right? Zero sum. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Whereas, you know, in reality, if you're working in a team of 10 and one of your colleagues is not being successful, yeah. I don't think you're being successful. Yeah. So as a CEO, how do you, Create that feeling of oneness, you know, aligning behind the one goal, leading the company totally, you know, and and feeling responsible and able to stick your nose in with good intent and skill Mm. wherever you need to. Mm. You know, because even at that level, sometimes people will not do it because they think, well, if I do that, they might start looking in my area.
1: Right. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah, uh, so so that so what you're talking about uh, is that that need for trust again mm.
2: from,
1: from the CEO and then back. So the mutual trust and the safety to share ideas and to and to so that pushing that down into the organisation starts with, with with that relationship with the leadership team, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, I mean if you see leaders who just talk about their area. Mm that's what you're going to do, isn't it? You're going to reinforce the silo. If you can see people who are going, you know, I I give an example of um, like value surveys Mm. and, you know, usually they're broken down by bits of the business, aren't they? Mm. And some companies will look and go, what are you doing, Craig? What are you doing, Steve? What are you doing, Andrew? And then some companies look and go, right, Craig, your scores are better than mine. Can you come and help me? Right. Or even better, you'll go, Andrew, you know, can I come and share some of the things that we're doing and work with your team? I think that sort of working, breaking the silo in that way, can be very positive.
1: I can think it can be very powerful. And uh, and it's sort of like not like having those little power bases, right? You're trying to break it down. Because even a lot of the organizations I'm working with at the moment, it's still there, that traditional mm. power silos and these are also the companies that can't wait to get people back to the office to work because they can't control those silos by having them working remotely, right? So that's yeah, interesting. That's a it?
2: good observation, actually. Yeah, yeah that's I a would... good observation because a lot of people are like that at the
1: moment. Yes, yeah, so, and you do uh, sort of go, why? The traditional managers, right? They they go, oh, I can't I can't control people working at home with their yeah. dog and their child and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, so oh, very very good. Okay, what about? Um, What about managing up for a CEO then? They usually got a board and that relationship can be very strong or can be very weak or tenuous. And uh, there's other stakeholders. Usually uh, one of the boards I'm on has got the stakeholders uh, who are investors usually. Um, And so how does a CEO manage those relationships?
2: Yeah, my my thought is it's a bit like we've been talking to before. I think if you're clear on your purpose and what you're trying to achieve, it starts to get a bit easy. Because you can then go, right, what conversations do I need to have with who? Mm. You know, because I, I think one of the, the dangers, and I would say this is something I constantly fight against personally, is I have good relationships with people who are like me, um, but they're not always the most useful relationships, especially when I was working in a corporation. Mm. Some of the people I needed to have good relationships with were completely different to me. Mm. So, and that would become a barrier if i didn't build relationships with them right. so my view is always you know what sort of relationship do you need to develop and it should link back to your purpose long term and day to day and then who are the people you need to speak with because you know stakeholders is a great example isn't that you might have a stakeholder who's really key but doesn't really get involved that much mm. And doesn't influence that much mm. so you could spend a lot of time building relationships with them and somebody who is another stakeholder might not be seen as more senior could be more of a shaker and mover so mm. and, and i think this is part of that whole the the vuca world you know the ambiguity volatile stuff yeah but if you actually get back to the simple skills you can work your way through it rather than starting at the top and going wow this is all complex and very ambiguous you can just sort of go right what am i trying to do and what do i need to do today what did, what is today offering me because otherwise i think you could get overwhelmed
1: and get overwhelmed and uh Blake, and many uh ceos do get overwhelmed by that uh, reaction with the board uh, the relationship with the board i mean so mm. you know, i think it's very uh interesting all right okay some some great insights there uh, andrew thank you very much and um Uh, Steve, do you want to uh, try and sum up and pull some main points? Sure, yeah. Well, it was a very
0: rich uh, discussion, Andrew, and uh, I I learned uh, quite a lot out of it too. Um, So the topic has been uh, what do CEOs need to know to be a good CEO? What do they need to do? How do they need to be? And um, you you talked... I want to sort of highlight six words that I kind of think, to me, summarise what you were saying. First word is ambiguity, and this is to do with the context. And you said that the context is often changing, um, but the skills that people need, and they, they are more constant. But there's this ambiguity in the context, and we can, that can occupy our attention too much. But if we draw our attention back to the things that aren't so much changing, then we can get a better handle on what it means. So the second word is is courage, and you talked about the word courage about the heart, and uh, you, you talked about the, the skills of being able to make connections with people, to, to really listen to what people are saying, to communicate effectively between people. So there's this connection with people, and that does take courage because sometimes you might hear things you don't want to hear. Mm. um but you need to be courageous enough to open to be open to that. The third word is North Star. and the concept of the North Star was your purpose, your values, your vision, where you're going to go, having clarity around that. you you, you mentioned the idea that that uh, with all the things that have been going on in the world, People and companies that have been clear about their North Star have fared better than people who are vague about it. And having that North Star clear helps you to understand what kind of relationships you need to build, what kind of conversations you need to have with people. And then the the fourth word was curiosity. And this is also about listening. And listening, not just for gaining knowledge or or for spreading knowledge around, but listening in a curious way to try and understand what's going on. What are people thinking? What are people saying? What sort of ideas are out there? Uh, Listening that builds engagement. And then the fifth word was trust, uh, feeling safe within the environment. And you talked about sharing with skill and good intent. So so really building up that trust in the way that you present and the way that you interact with people. And then the sixth word was create. The idea that teams are not just a group of people. Teams are something that you've got to create. You can have a group of people, but that doesn't mean that you've got a team that works together, where they're interdependent, where where you're working for the success of everybody on the team. Not the zero sum game, but the the best for everybody. To bring oneness, to bring alignment, success at all levels, breaking down these silos, and actually creating something, uh, which is a, a an important skill. So they're the six words that I got out of it.
1: That's amazing. Uh, thanks very much, Steve, for the sum up. And uh, Andrew, you can show, you can see there's a there's a lot in there. I think quite often when you giving uh, the responses, mm. the questions you don't realize how much you're um, you're giving up. So that, that was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.
2: Well, I think Steve is a good example of listening with purpose. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so it's a great example, isn't it? Yeah. How many meetings do you go to where somebody could do that?
1: Yeah, yeah that's true.
2: So thank you for that, Steve. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.
2: Appreciate
1: right. it. Thanks for today, Andrew. Thanks for uh, imparting your wisdom. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Humanised Workforce, Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you
1: source your podcasts. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts.